Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Wednesday. It is a great day to be alive. If you are a Republican, if you're a Democrat, or you live in Houston, you might be kind of sad. A few things happened last night. One, the Braves won the World Series. We talked about the irony of this either yesterday or Monday. I can't remember back when the MLB All-Star Game was going on. The MLB decided to take the All-Star Game out of Atlanta, taking millions of dollars from Atlanta and the state of Georgia because of their voter integrity law that the MLB and Democrats were saying was Jim Crow-esque and was so racist, even though that has no basis in reality whatsoever. They moved it to Denver. Denver has voter ID laws and, and very strict restrictions on their voting process, but that didn't matter. It was a huge virtue signal. Of course, Texas passed a voter integrity bill as well, and Texas and Georgia were the two teams that were in the World Series, and Georgia won in Texas. It's just poetic justice. It's amazing. And actually, the guy who runs the MLB, when he was giving a speech last night after the game on the field, the stadium started booing. I mean, it was it was pretty incredible. So go Braves. As I've said, even though I'm originally from Dallas, Dallas and Houston, they've got that little bit of a rivalry. And so I was happy to cheer for the Braves. My husband is from Georgia. His whole family's from Georgia. And so we were rooting for the Braves last night. And it was a great, it was a great night in general for anti-wokeism. And this is why, as we've been talking about, the Virginia gubernatorial election was last night. Terry McAuliffe, the, the Democrat, he has been governor once before. He was a one-term governor before Ralph Northam in blue Virginia. And he was seen as a shoo-in. I mean, polling really up until the last few months had shown that Terry McAuliffe was going to take this away. And even over the last couple of weeks, people have been saying, wow, Glenn Youngkin is running a much better campaign than people thought that he would. But Terry McAuliffe is still going to take this one. Virginia has been blue for a while now. No Republican has won a statewide race in Virginia since 2009. It was purple really before 2009. It was known as um, a flip. But now it is blue. It's been very reliably blue for uh, the past several years. But we have also seen that Virginia, specifically in Loudoun County and even in Fairfax County, which are very blue counties, these have been the hotbed of school board controversies where parents have woken up and have said, whoa, I don't like what my kids are learning in school, I don't like this racially divisive curriculum, learning that white kids and white people are oppressors. They've they've got a, a privileged advantage over every black and brown kid. Black and brown kids learning that they've got this insurmountable disadvantage and they're never going to be able to make it in life the same way that their white counterparts are. These kids in a lot of places, have been learning this 1619 Project perspective of history, which is ahistorical. Nicole Hannah-Jones, the author of the 1619 Project, will tell you she's not a historian. She's a journalist. She wanted to write a particular narrative of United States history that starts back in 1619. She made the claim that the United States was actually founded not just with slavery, but on slavery. That's an important distinction because she uses that hypothesis. Really, she treats it as a conclusion that uh, she uses that to then say that every part of America, every system, every institution is 
characterized by white supremacy, by the exploitation of black and brown people, of racism. So especially every conservative institution or conservative idea, capitalism, private health care, she argues, is all founded on white supremacy, that America wasn't started in 1776. It was actually started back in 1619. And that is a key difference between reality and Nicole Hannah-Jones's version of history in which white people always play the villain and America is bad. That is a key tenet of critical race theory, that America, that our founding documents, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, our Bill of Rights, the idea of inherent rights recognized by the government, free speech, due process, critical race theory holds all of those in derision. They actually believe that all of the founding principles upon which America was built are bad, that they have only been used as tools to uphold white power and white supremacy, and that we have to start from scratch. We need to get rid of the Constitution. We need to get rid of the Declaration of Independence. That's what critical race theory holds. It truly is radical. And Parents might not be able to recite to you everything that Kimberly Crenshaw or Derek Bell or Richard Delgado has said about critical race theory, but they notice that this kind of ahistorical rendering of American history was being taught in their schools, that their kids were being divided by race, being divided by so-called privilege status, that they were being taught things like intersectionality, and they didn't like it. And what were they told by people like Terry McAuliffe, by people like Joy Reid? by Democrats and other liberals in the news, liberal activists, you don't know what critical race theory is. You can't even define critical race theory. Critical race theory isn't being taught in schools. These parents aren't blind. They're not stupid. And you don't have to be a conservative to be able to know that this kind of stuff is damaging to kids, whether you're white or black. So you don't have to call it critical race theory. If you don't want to call it critical race theory, if that makes the libs uncomfortable, that's fine. It's racially divisive, a historical curriculum. The fact of the matter is there is good, there is bad, there is ugly in American history. Just as Frederick Douglass said, the Constitution is an anti-slavery document. The Declaration of Independence is an anti-slavery document, even though the authors of these documents were hypocritical in the sense that they were not extending the rights that they were talking about to black people and to women. These documents set up a foundation for equality that every time America has gone back to those principles, we have made progress. And so we make progress towards equality and justice and liberty for all by getting closer to our founding ideals, not by abandoning them. And parents recognize that. They recognize that really there was a lopsided, progressive, left-wing ideological view of American history, an exclusively negative view of American history, and even white people that was being taught in these schools. And parents didn't like it. Parents of all races and all political backgrounds. That is why Glenn Duncan won. And not just that, but also the sexually explicit material that was being taught in schools, the LGBTQ curriculum that was being pushed in schools without parents' knowledge. Parents like to be the first ones to tell their kids, to teach their kids about those kinds of sensitive topics. It's not the role of the schools to usurp parents' authority, their responsibility, their right to be able to shape the things that their child learns. And so when Terry McAuliffe came out uh, at the end of October... Instead, in a debate, hey, I don't believe that parents 
should have a say or should choose what their child learns in school. That was it for him. Like, that was the nail on the coffin. There are so many other things that played into this. Of course, there was the whole story that was uh, that was broken by the, the Daily Wire, Luke Rosiak of the Daily Wire, that Loudoun County had actually covered up a sexual assault of a female student in the public school there that they had completely mishandled. Um, that entire situation. And so that is why Glenn Youngkin pulled so far ahead of um, of Terry McAuliffe when it came to education. Parents saw it. They saw it. They didn't like what they heard from Democrats. And Terry McAuliffe actually had the head of a large teachers union, Randy Weingarten, campaigned for him the night before the election. I mean, she is a deeply, deeply unpopular figure. That's one thing that parents woke up to in the past year, the corruption of the teachers unions that kept kids in front of a computer screen when it was scientifically unnecessary. That has pushed a lot of these corrupt, divisive, confusing topics on kids. I mean, Terry McAuliffe just ran a bad campaign, okay? Now, there are... Uh, big brain pundits out there like Joy Reid who like to believe that this is some kind of racial backlash. This is the take that I saw last night, that this is because white people are mad. White people just don't want, they don't want their kids to learn about, um, to learn about race. Joy Reid actually said last night, we happened to turn it on. We just wanted to see what was happening on MSNBC as it looked like Glenn Youngkin was, um, was taking this election. We wanted to see what they were talking about. And we happened to turn it on right when Joy Reid said education. So education is really what won this election. She's right about that. But she says education, quote, is code for white parents don't like the idea about teaching about race. Holy Spirit, help me. Oh, my God. You know what? I, I want to get mad about this. And by the way, I said, oh, my gosh, but it kind of got cut off. But oh, my gosh, I, I want to get mad about this. I do because, gosh, she's so dense and Democrats are so dense. Like she's not the only person who had this take on social media last night that this is a white backlash. This is parents not, you know, it's it's not it's parents not wanting kids to learn about history, about slavery, about real things. This is just this is white women. Look at the suburban white women that are such racist. Hang on a second. Hang on. Hang on. Let's back up a little bit. The guy who is the current governor of Virginia, Ralph Northam, remember his picture, he was either in blackface or a Klan robe. We never figured out which one it was. In an old yearbook from the 1980s, it came out that he was wearing a costume where he was a KKK member or he had blackface on, dressed up like a black person. That's the current Democratic governor of Virginia. Okay, and so these Democrats in Virginia want to say that people who voted for the Republican are the racist. And by the way, Glenn Youngkin is not the only one who upset this race last night. There was also a woman by the name of Winsome Sears. Winsome Sears is an amazing person. She's a Republican. She's a Marine Corps veteran. She's a Christian. Most importantly, she's an immigrant from Jamaica. And because the left cares about identity politics so much, I think it's worth saying that she is the first black woman to be elected to a statewide office in Virginia. And she's a Republican. Have you heard of her? I haven't even heard of her. And I know things about conservative politics and I care about Christians who are standing up for their faith in the public 
public sphere. She's certainly one of those people. Have you heard about her? Has she had a profile? And the New York Times says the Washington Post lauded her as someone who is breaking glass ceilings, who is, you know, pushing back against white hegemony, whatever ridiculous thing they say when, you know, leftist women or even, I mean, okay, get this, guys. So... Rachel Levine, Rachel Levine, the man who lived 54 years as a man and then suddenly declared he was a woman, was praised a couple years or a couple weeks ago for being the first female, according to the New York Times, to be to be a four star admiral as the HHS assistant secretary, whatever he is. And he was written up as this, you know, this hero for women that this dude who has been a dude for more than half a century, but grew his hair out and decided to wear lipstick. I, as a woman, am supposed to say, yes, thank you so much, Rachel Levine. You are just the pinnacle of femininity. How did you overcome this oppressive patriarchy and get to where you are? That's apparently what we're supposed to say. But Winsome Sears, the first black woman to win a statewide office in Virginia, we're not supposed to think about her at all. Somehow, this election was about a white backlash when someone like her was elected? Come on now. Come on now. And we also had Jason uh, Miaris. He is a Republican. He defeated two-term Democrat incumbent for attorney general in Virginia. I, I don't know if I said, but Winsome Sears won uh, lieutenant governor. And then we had attorney general. Um, the attorney general race was won by Jason Miaris. He is also a Cuban-American. And so, again, this is really about whiteness. But like I said, I want to be mad about that. I want to be mad about, you know, the crazy, insane things that Joy Reid says. There was another um, tweet by someone who said, uh, you know, whiteness is undefeated. I'm trying to find it in my, oh, um, uh, Wajahat. Ali says whiteness remains undefeated. Let's wait and see who those white suburban voters went for tonight in Virginia. Any guesses? And so they really hate um, white female suburban voters that tend to at least um, barely. There's barely a majority of white suburban female voters that vote Republican. A large portion of them do vote Democrat for reasons I don't understand. But uh, more than half of white women tend to break for Republicans and white women tended to, uh, you know, vote for Glenn Youngkin. There was also this interesting um, there was this interesting poll, this exit poll that showed that people whose number one priority was abortion, whether it's on the left or the right, uh, the vast majority of them voted for Glenn Youngkin. So even people on the left who say that they care about so-called abortion rights, uh, I mean, they didn't they didn't perform for McAuliffe like Democrats probably expected that they were going to do. But anyway, so the reason why I'm okay with these crazy takes, these crazy takes, that this was about a white backlash, that this is just, you know, something to do with white supremacy and racism and all of that, and not about a reckoning for parents who care about their kids, which is exactly what it was, is because they're going to continue to lose. They will continue to lose. They will lose, lose, lose. They'll lose in the midterms. They'll lose the presidency if they continue to think that the only pe the only reason why people vote Republican is because of racism uh, and that parents don't really know what critical race theory is. If they keep on just going with that line, which, 
by the way, I could take any of them. I could take any of them to task on critical race theory. I guarantee you I could divine it more accurately, could debate it with more rigor um, and more accuracy than anyone on MSNBC, than any liberal on Twitter could. The reality is it's projection. Most liberals have no idea what critical race theory is. They have no idea. Conservatives do because we have to, thanks to a lot of people, thanks to, I'll just say it, one, this show. We have talked about it so much over the past couple of years. We have informed a lot of people and a lot of parents on what critical race theory is, the dangers of critical race theory, especially in schools. Christopher Rufo, Corey DeAngelis has talked about this. James Lindsay has talked about this. There have been so many moms groups who have talked about this. People do know what critical race theory is. They do know racial division when they see it. They do know sexually explicit material in schools when they see it. They do know bad curriculum when they see it. And they've had enough of it. And if Democrats don't realize that that's what's behind them losing elections that they are supposed to win... Uh, then they're going to continue to lose. So that's fine. Go with the Joy Reid theory. Go with the Joy Reid theory. Go with this just being a, a white backlash, racial reckoning, and you parents... You, you double down. Just realize they're going to call you a domestic terrorist. They're going to call you a racist bigot. They're going to call you all these kinds of names to try to belittle your concerns, to hold you back, to condescend you, to make you feel like you don't know what you're talking about, that you don't have a right to stand up for your kids. And what do you do in the face of that? Do you say, oh, okay, I'm sorry. Let me nuance or caveat my position. Let me take a step back. You're right. The teachers unions are just, the, they're the experts over the education. Not, not me, not the person who birth this human being. No, it's definitely Randy Weingarten and the Democrats. No, that's not what you do. You don't back down. You double down. You double down. And we'll get to more of that in just one second. I'm very fired up about this. But first, let me take a quick break to tell you about our first sponsor for the day. And that is Patriot Mobile. So Patriot Mobile is America's only Christian conservative wireless provider. You might not know, but some of those wireless providers, they are turning around and they are spending your money on causes and giving to organizations that are directly fighting against the things that you hold dear, the freedoms that you cherish. But you don't have to worry about that with Patriot Mobile. When you give your money to Patriot Mobile, you know that they are only supporting causes that actually actually are standing up for your First Amendment freedoms, for example. They offer broad nationwide coverage. They use the same towers as all major carriers, and so you don't have to compromise there. Patriot Mobile has plans to fit any budget, and their 100% U.S.-based customer support team provides exceptional customer support. It's always so frustrating when you have a company that you really like, but the customer service is terrible. Again, you don't have to worry about that with Patriot Mobile. They have got your back. They share your values. They support organizations fighting for religious freedom, constitutional rights, sanctity of life, and they support our veteran and first responder heroes. Go to patriotmobile.com slash Allie or call 972-PATRIOT. Get free activation with the offer code Allie. They always have special discounts for veterans and first responders. They are near and dear to their heart at Patriot Mobile. They also have discounts for multi-line accounts. So support a company that loves America, loves you, and shares your values. Go to patriotmobile.com slash Allie, patriotmobile.com slash Allie. So just a couple more things on Virginia. So those three statewide races that I already listed, those were upsets. We were not necessarily... Uh, predicting that that was going to happen. And 
as we said, mostly it was education. The Democratic agenda just is not popular to a lot of people. Also, there have been a lot of demographic changes in Virginia, and Democrats have hung their hat on this idea that if there are fewer white people and if we can change the demography or the demographics of America, then we are going to have more Democratic voters. We're going to be able to solidify our power. Uh -uh Uh-uh-uh, you don't know that. Because guess what? That kind of condescending, belittling, honestly racist idea just isn't going to work because people of all backgrounds care about their kids' education, care about their safety. A lot of people of a lot of different backgrounds don't like the vaccine mandates. They don't like the teachers' unions. And so it's very understandable that people of all different ethnicities, of even all different political backgrounds, might be pushing back against the very far-left progressive agenda that we are seeing represented by people like Terry McAuliffe. Now, Terry McAuliffe, he really brought out the big guns. As we already said, we thought that he was going to win. The polls started to shift, especially when he let the cat out of the bag a few weeks ago, said the quiet part out loud about parents not really having the authority to shape their kids' curriculum, even though he and his wife sent their kids to a very, very expensive private school in the D.C. area. So that really hurt him a lot. And he realized, oh, it's actually a possibility that I could lose this thing. And so he brought out Kamala Harris because everyone knows Kamala Harris is so likable. He brought out uh, Barack Obama. Now, Barack Obama made it worse because he said that all of these phony culture war issues are nothing more than a tactic to gin up outrage that they're not real. So once again, they felt belittled. Once again, these parents who really care about what's going on in their child's life, in their kids' education, um, that they're being condescended, that they're being minimized, that they're being pushed to the sidelines. And Barack Obama just made that worse. Kamala Harris, she had, I can't even... Like, what did was she even saying in her speech? I don't know. Um, and then, you know, they had Joe Biden coming out there and supporting, which is not good because he has low poll numbers. Terry McAuliffe, I mean, the guy, well, he, first of all, I'm not trying to launch this ad hominem attack, but he looks like the mayor from The Grinch. Does anyone know what that I'm talking about? I just think that it's, I think that's worth noting. And the reason why I think that's worth noting is not because I'm trying to be personally rude, but because I actually think that that matters when it comes to politics. Like, you know, you hear about the story of John F. Kennedy in a debate against Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon looked really old and sweaty, and John F. Kennedy looked really good and strong. Like, people actually care about that kind of thing. That was certainly true of Terry McAuliffe, who looks like Templeton from Charlotte's Web, and uh, and Glenn Youngkin, who looked, you know, revitalized, and he looked... Like he was strong and he also ran on trusting parents. People like that. Like he he learned that you have to listen to the voters and you have to listen to this group of parents who are so invigorated and and mobilized right now on behalf of their children. It's a lie that he ran any kind of racial campaign. And that's how Republicans won again with the first black woman uh, elected to a statewide office. Yeah, this is really about white supremacy. Crazy. All right. Some other um, election updates as I'm recording this. So I'm recording this on Wednesday morning. The governor's race in New Jersey is still too close to call. Guys, I didn't even know there was a governor's race in New Jersey. I didn't even know that was happening. People haven't been talking about it because 
Uh, Phil Murphy, the Democrat incumbent, was such a shoo-in. Everyone just knew, yeah, he's going to win. New Jersey is just like that. It's such a deep blue state. They went for Joe Biden by, you know, a double-digit margin in the election. Of course, they're just going to reelect their Democratic governor. No one has been talking about the governor's race in New Jersey. And yet, as I am talking about this right now, it is too close to call. So Jack uh, Chattarelli, Chattarelli, that's what I think when I see that name. It's very Italian. I don't know how to pronounce it. Hopefully I got it correct. I mean, he is neck and neck with Phil Murphy, who, of course, I think from my conservative uh, perspective has been a terrible governor, has locked down his state really to no avail as far as COVID numbers go. And uh, they're saying it's too close to call right now. Britt Hume said this on Twitter. Even if Murphy manages to eke out a win in New Jersey, that race may be seen as an even bigger shock than Virginia. Governor Biden won New Jersey, or uh, says Governor Biden, President Biden won New Jersey by 16. And incumbent Dem Murphy is in a virtual tie, big reversal. So even If Phil Murphy wins, like it is a big deal that it's this close to call in New Jersey, in New Jersey, and then some other places that are just stunning. This is tweeted by Randy Marshall on Twitter. I can't put into words the stunning turn of politics happening on Long Island tonight. Republicans are leading in all major races, county executive, district attorney, county clerk, county comptroller, um, and he lists uh, different districts where Republicans are leading. Um, I don't know, as I am saying this, the results of those elections, but again, the fact that it's even close, that it has even been close, that's a really big deal in places that are so reliably blue. In Texas, the South Lake Carroll ISD Board of Trustees, Andrew Yeager won. He has been an anti-critical race theory candidate. He won. NBC News, of course, is very upset about this. They say diversity plan opponents win control of school board in South Lake, Texas. The election made South Lake one of the first places in the country where candidates running on an anti-critical race theory platform have taken a school board majority. Voters in the affluent suburb northwest of Dallas delivered a landslide victory Tuesday to Andrew Yeager, who campaigned against the district's plan for new diversity training programs and changes to the curriculum. So they like to say diversity training programs as if it's this innocuous thing to have kids care about other cultures and to accept people of different races. That is not what diversity training programs are. They are splitting people apart by race, by perceived oppressed classes, talking about white hegemony, white privilege, even things like toxic masculinity and things like that. So these are not these innocuous plans that are put together for the benefit and the cohesion of communities. They tear apart communities. They hurt children. And so, yes, there are going to be school board candidates who are running on opposing those plans and are going to win. They did in South Lake, Texas. Also, in Minneapolis, Minnesota, you'll recall, that's where the George Floyd incident happened, uh, 57 to 43 no, uh, voted voted no. So 57% voted no on defunding the police to create a new so-called public safety 
agency. So the fact that it was 43% that actually wanted to take funding away from the Minneapolis Police Department and create this new so-called public safety agency is a little troubling. But the fact that a pretty solid majority, 57%, said no. Again, where the kind of birthplace of this revolution against the police, at least for the last couple of years, um, is in, in Minneapolis. The fact that they said no to defunding the police I mean, that should probably tell us something, not just that it's unpopular, but that it doesn't work because Minneapolis has seen such an uptick in murder over the past year and a half, even um, at the site where they set up basically this, you know, no police zone, this sanctuary zone for George Floyd in Minneapolis. They saw a murder in or murders in that specific spot. People don't like anarchy. Like people don't like not to be safe. People like security. People like police. Uh, Black and brown Americans in the United States like the police. There was a Gallup poll. I believe it was Gallup. No, I think it was YouGov that we talked about probably a year ago now. That 80% of black Americans want the same number of police in their area or an increased number of police in their area. So really, it's just a bunch of mostly white ideologues that are pushing this kind of idea of defunding the police. And most people don't want it, not even in very liberal Minneapolis. So I think that's probably another lesson that Democrats need to take home rather than just saying this is about white grievance politics. Like, I would say wake up, but again, maybe I don't want you to. Maybe I want you to continue thinking that this is just about white people being mad about learning about racism. You'll continue to lose. Hey, maybe if you keep pushing, that will turn California red one day. A girl can hope. All right, let me tell you about our next sponsor for the day. That is Good Ranchers. So Good Ranchers is dealing with a really high demand of their product right now, in part because of the advertising on this podcast. You guys have delivered and they have delivered to you fully American meat. You've gotten your craft beef, your better than organic chicken delivered to your front door. You've loved it. And I've loved it too. I love getting our Good Ranchers delivered. We put it in our deep freezer and then we just thaw it and it's ready to go for whenever we want to cook it. Makes our life so much easier. And plus, I love supporting American farms. I didn't realize that a 100,000 independent American farms and ranchers have been shut down since 2015 because we are, uh, America has decided to depend on imports, foreign imports of meat rather than relying on our own ranchers and farmers. I mean, that's criminal. That's terrible. And so Good Ranchers is on a mission to put America first, to support our American farms and American farmers. And they are doing their very best to try to meet the high demand that they have right now. So make sure that you get your order in. You go to goodranchers.com slash Allie. When you do, they've got a new deal running where you get 10 free Bistro filet medallions with your order. That's a $100 value. Plus, if you subscribe, you save $25 on each box of mouth-watering American meats for life. And if you use my link, goodranchers.com slash Allie, then you get free express shipping. So go to goodranchers.com slash Allie, goodranchers.com slash Allie. So I asked on Twitter uh, for you guys to tell me some conservative wins on school or with school board elections across the country. And I got a lot of I got a lot of good ones. Newtown, Connecticut. Republicans are now the majority of the Board of Education. Republicans swept every town position except for the independent first selectmen. Um, there is also in Denver, Douglas County in Colorado. Conservative candidates uh, take the lead as of um 
last night. So they won, actually, in this election. They uh, took the lead in Douglas County in Colorado. Also in Iowa, three conservative candidates in the Ankeny. Ankeny? I don't know how to pronounce that in Iowa. Um in that school board race have won. And so there were uh, a lot of conservative wins for school board elections last night. And that's very exciting. It just means that it is, it's time to speak up and it's worth speaking up. Like you never know, you never know the change that you can make. Um, And so just ignore the people saying that this is just about racial politics. Ignore the people that are trying to belittle your concerns. Um, Ignore also the people that say that our country is over, that conservatives have no voice. But I also hope that Republicans pay attention. Like as much as conservatives in general need to wake up that their voice matters as much as Democrats need to wake up that, hey, people don't like your agenda. The Republicans in power really need to wake up, too. They need to realize that the people with the power, the people who want things done are not big corporations like let's divorce from um, big business as Republicans. Let's stop caring quite as much about just securing corporate tax breaks. And let's start paying attention to the constituents that matter. Let's start paying attention to the people with influence. Start paying attention to the moms and dads. Like they are mobilizing. And and really what's happening is that people are so disillusioned. People are so disappointed with both parties in Washington that grassroots groups are taking matters into their own hands. They're pushing back against things like mandates. They're pushing back against bad curriculum. They're running for office and they are trying to make the change that they want to see, that they feel like the people that represent them in the political sphere are not making. Republicans take note, realize that the People who are voting for you want you to wield the power that you have. Okay, we're done with the we're done with the GOP that only cares about lower taxes. That only cares. I'm not saying that doesn't matter. It does. That only cares about things like welfare reform. I'm not saying that doesn't matter because it absolutely does. But people care about the culture wars. I saw someone say on Twitter, the culture war is the big tent for conservatives. Like parents care about education. And a lot of people care about abortion and preserving life. People care about the things that are affecting our children. People care um, about the working class and the issues that are disproportionately affecting them, like the rise in prices due to inflation. They care about the vaccine mandates. And Republican voters want you to do something about them. They want you to pass laws that actually ban these kinds of vaccine mandates and requirements. They want you to pass laws that ban mask mandates. They want you to pass laws that ensure that the curriculum that kids are learning in school is actually historic and not racially divisive and sexually explicit. They want you to do something about it. They don't just want you to talk about it. So let last night be a lesson for everyone One, that your voice matters, conservatives. Two, the Democrats, your far left agenda just isn't attractive or appealing, but I don't really care if you figured that out or not. And Republicans, that people want you to step up, that people are mobilized like they've never been before, that people 
care. I hope it's not too little too late, but I think we should be encouraged. I think we should be inspired um, by what we're seeing, that this is a lot of good news. It's a lot of good news. And don't worry about being misunderstood. Don't worry about being demonized. That's going to happen. They're just trying to silence and bully you. Who cares? Who cares about the bullies? You keep fighting for what is good and right and true. Politics matter because policy matters, because people matter. These things matter. These things matter. This is a way to love your neighbor. Continue to speak up. Continue to push back. These things matter. Realize that these culture war issues actually affect people and they're winning issues for a lot of people. So good job to everyone who ran a campaign, every conservative that decided that you were going to come off the sidelines and you were going to do something about the things that you care about. You know, not every conservative won their school board race. Not every conservative won the races that we wanted them to race or wanted them to win. But um, your effort matters. Uh, You raised awareness about issues that absolutely matter. Congratulations to Winsome Sears. Congratulations to Glenn Youngkin. Congratulations uh, to Jason Meares. Congratulations to all of the people who ran and won. And congratulations to the people that ran a well-fought race. And uh, you represented the concerns of people who have felt like they haven't had representation in a long time. All of that absolutely matters. All right. There's so much more that I could that I could say about this, but we've got to go to our guest. We've got a guest for today, and this is Congressman Jim Jordan from Ohio. He's going to tell us his reaction to some of this. He's going to let us know what's going on with this crazy infrastructure bill in Washington. It's been really hard to follow. And he's also going to tell us about a new book that he has out with a lot of juicy details about how the sausage is made in Washington. And I'm really excited for you to hear this conversation. So without further ado, here is Congressman Jim Jordan. Congressman, thank you so much for joining us. First, I want to get your reaction to last night's election results, not just in Virginia, but elsewhere. As we're recording this, we don't know everything about New Jersey, for example. Um, But what do you make of that? It's uh, an upset for a lot of people in the Democratic Party, for sure. I think I think the first takeaway is mom's one big government zero. I mean, this was a win for parents. Uh, The left can say what they want. But when Terry McAuliffe made the comment that parents shouldn't be telling schools what to teach their kids, uh, I think that just that just hit a nerve. And then you you couple that with the action that the Justice Department took as a result of the letter written by the National School Boards Association to President Biden asking for the FBI to get involved in local school board matters. And then the Justice Department does just that five days after the letter, Mm -hmm. in essence, treating parents as domestic terrorists because they got the National Security Division at the the Justice Department involved. And then, of course, we know that the end of that was the School Board Association apologized the day after the hearing in, in the Judiciary Committee where we Republicans went after the attorney general. I think all that just was sort of the final straw for so many people who are just fed up with all the crazy things they've seen from the Biden administration. And they said enough is enough. And, and you know, the old uh, the old line is uh, we, we deal with lobbyists in this business, but no high paid lobbyists will ever beat a mom on a mission. And these uh, these parents were, were tired of government saying uh, the things they were saying and 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 going after parents for simply showing up at a school board meeting saying, don't teach this racist, hate America curricula, uh, curriculum to our uh, to our children. And so, again, I think it's a win for families. Yeah, definitely. And speaking of Merrick 
Merrick Garland, are you surprised by how politicized he is this early on? I mean, we were told that he would be a pretty moderate pick that a lot of Republicans could support. That really hasn't turned out. Not at all. Great, great question, because you're exactly right. The Justice Department is so political. So uh, when when Georgia put in the photo ID and, and you know, ID for, for voting uh, and, and passed that law, uh, a few months later, the Justice Department sued after Biden criticized Georgia. The Justice Department goes in there and sues. Then you have the Texas, <clears throat> Texas passed the pro-life law they did. Uh, the President Biden criticizes that eight days later. The Justice Department, the Garland Justice Department sues. And then, of course, we had what we just described, which was a left wing political organization writes a letter uh, saying go after parents at school board meetings. And five days after that, the Justice Department uh, mm-hmm. does just that. So, um, yeah, they're they're totally political. And what we've called on on Mayor Garland to do is rescind that memo, uh, uh, memo. Rescind that memo that you put out that, in essence, treats um, treats parents as domestic terrorists. Uh, let's hope he does it. We're going to keep the pressure up on him until till till he does. You know, it was really odd watching him during the hearing. It was almost like or at least he wanted to act like he didn't really know what the substance of the memo said. He almost wanted to act like he was detached from the process that led to that memo and that he didn't really know what was going on. Is he just playing dumb? Did he have obviously more of a hand in this than he is trying to let on? Well, the short answer is I don't know, but I'm convinced he didn't know about the press release. So the day he issues the memorandum is the the accompanying press release, which talks about the National Security Division. So I don't think he even knew about that, which was kind of scary because you you got a press release getting the National Security Division involved in a task force that's designed to set up this open line of dedicated threat, uh, uh, dedicated line of threat reporting, a snitch line on parents. you do all that and you don't know about that. That's that's kind of alarming in and of itself. Um, and then, of course, we had a story yesterday where it looked like federal people were at a school board meeting in in Virginia. I don't I, I don't know how accurate the story is. But if that's the case, then Merrick Garland wasn't honest with us because I asked him a question during the hearing two weeks ago. Will FBI agents be showing up at school board meetings? He said, no, they won't. Mm. Well, OK, but it looks like at least there's a story yesterday that says there were federal agents at a school board meeting. Now, again, I don't know the validity of that. But there's 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 been that allegation. So um, all that makes you wonder just how involved he is with this actual thing. But I do know that we sent a letter to all the U.S. attorneys in all the 94 U.S. attorney districts asking what they have done in response to the memorandum, asking them to begin to set up this task force in each of those uh, uh, judicial districts around the country. We're hoping to get some answers from them here real soon. And the DOJ is going after Texas. That's what the Supreme Court is hearing right now because of their new abortion law. Democrats in the House are holding a hearing on that tomorrow, correct? Yeah. Yeah. We got a hearing tomorrow uh, where, we'll, you know, we'll be we'll be highlighting just the, 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 the sacredness, the sanctity of human life, the preciousness of human life. There's two two um, uh, cases the Supreme Court heard this week. Uh, regarding the Texas law. There's a Mississippi case that's coming in front of the court later this term. So uh, let's hope we get the right decisions there, decisions that will protect life and allow more unborn children to experience the uh, the gift of life that our Constitution and our Declaration, Life, Liberty, Pursuit of Happiness, that, that they're, they're supposed to protect. So um, we'll see how all that plays out. The other big issue on the life uh, concern is the Democrats are, 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 you know, they, they want to get rid of the Hyde Amendment, which, mm-hmm. which is this this longstanding policy we've had where American tax money will not be used to take the life of an unborn child. And the fact that they're trying to get rid of that is uh, is wrong as well. So 
uh, yeah, with some important issues uh, on, on the life issue happening uh, in the Congress. The so-called Build Back Better bill. People know that negotiations have been going on, but I think a lot of people have kind of removed themselves from knowing about the process because it seems really convoluted. It's hard to keep up with what's going on. What's the state of all that right now in Washington? Four times uh, Speaker Pelosi has said that she was going to have a vote on one or both of those those two bills that are part of this this big spending package. And she's 0 for 4. And twice now she has summoned the president of the United States to Capitol Hill to close the deal. And he's 0 for 2. So they're 0 for 6. Let's hope it stays that way because these these two pieces of legislation are bad for the country. I mean, it's not just the ridiculous level of spending. I, I said to a group the other day, the Democrats' economic plan seems to be lock down the economy, spend like crazy, pay people not to work. And, and then for everyone who has been working, we're going to raise your taxes. I mean, such a deal. So the, the, it's not just a crazy spending in this package. But it's it's the policy. It's all the left wing stuff that's going to drive up the cost of energy even more than it already is. It's all the tax increases in here that are going to hurt families. Um, so let's hope that they can't get the votes and nothing passes. That would be the best thing for uh, for families and for the country. One thing that people ask me about a lot that we haven't really dedicated a whole lot of time to on this show is parental leave. That's something that's obviously popular with Democrats, but I think there are some conservatives who are curious about it. Would it be something that conservatives should get behind? Obviously, we're pro-family, pro-life, but do we really want uh, something else that's sponsored by the government? What's your take on that? I think the best thing we can do to help families is let them keep more of their money. Don't raise their taxes. The best thing we can do for, for families is let people uh, go back to work and not have these mandates from the government that make it tough to work. The best thing we can do for families is not have a vaccine mandate. If you want to get the vaccine, God bless you, do it. If you don't and you've had the, the, had the uh, had COVID, had the virus, you got natural immunity, why in the world should you have to get the vaccine? So there's all kinds of things we can do for families that I think are good most of which is allow our economy to glow, grow and flourish like it was under President Trump. <clears throat> and oh, by the way, if you want to really help families, don't drive up the cost of gasoline so that it costs more for, for, for moms and dads to get back and forth to work, to take their kids to school and all the things they have to do. So there are lots of things we could do to help families. Um, right now, what I hear from, from uh, employers and small business owners all across our district and frankly, all across the country is they can't find people to work. Right. And I tell them, you know, when you pay people not to work, you shouldn't be surprised when you can't find workers. That's what government does. So let's focus on doing the things that we know will help our economy grow. And that will help families like again, like we had under under the leadership of President Trump. Yep. People are feeling progressive policies in their pocketbook right now. And that matters. I read that uh, this Thanksgiving is uh, going to be the most expensive yep. Thanksgiving in history. Not just the cost of turkey is up, but uh, all of the food that we typically eat on Thanksgiving. So things are being felt even by people who maybe voted for Joe Biden or were a fan of progressive policies. They're seeing the repercussions of that. And I think that's one of the reasons why Biden's poll numbers are so low. So in light of yeah. that, in light of those polling numbers, in light of what happened last night, if we do have the red wave next year that people are thinking that we're going to have, what are Republicans going to do with the power that they may very well gain back next year? Well, you know, the, Joe Biden will still be in the White House, but if we win back the House, we can at least we can at least ho hopefully hold them to a stalemate, so they can't keep making things worse. I mean, right now, I think the the polling suggests that uh, 71 percent of the country thinks thinks that our, our our nation is on the wrong track. 
I, I think the real question is, who are the 29% who think it's on the right track, for goodness sake? Yeah. I mean, who are the 29% who think in th- that, that rapid inflation is good? Who are the 29% who, who like the fact that gas is at $350, dollars $360, uh, uh, $360 a, a gallon? Who, who are the 29% who, who see that, that, you know, crime is up in every major urban area in this country. Who are these, who are these folks? So I think that, that's, that's what we got to put a stop to is the crazy policies, the crazy spending that we've seen from this administration and hopefully force them to deal with actually building the wall and securing our border and stop, uh, stopping the, the, the re- reckless spending that's driving up the cost of goods and services. And as you said, driving up the cost of, of you know, the, the food we're going to have at Thanksgiving. So that's what we can do. And then frankly, if we're in control, we can also do the investigations mm-hmm. that need to be done. Um, there are, I think the, the, the fact that the, the Internal Revenue Service, uh, thousands of Americans tax returns were made public uh, is scary. And we need to find out <clears throat> how and how did that happen? We need to find out um, uh, the other important issues like the, the, the Hunter Biden story that still I don't think has ever been fully, fully investigated. So there are lots yeah. of things I think we can do on the investigative side that are important for the American people as well. Uh, I want to talk about your book, and I'm really excited about it. I love the title of your book. It's Do What You Said You Would Do. Why did you write this book? Well, I, I, I said, uh, you know, I think oftentimes we um, we make this job way too complicated. What did you tell the folks you were going to do when you ran for office? If they if they elect you, go do what you said. Go do what they elected you to do. And uh, unfortunately, I think all too often in this town, there are a million reasons why you can't do what you said you were going to do. And um, instead, we should just focus on doing what you were elected to, to do by the by the folks back home in your district. So we talk about those issues. We talk about um, how the House Freedom Caucus was was formed. We talk about when we decided to force John Boehner out as speaker. And then I get into a lot of the investigations. Um, I've had the, the fortune of, because of the committee assignments I have, I think, it was the IRS investigation when they targeted you know, your viewers and, and, and your listeners uh, and conservatives around the country. I was on the Benghazi Select Committee. And then we spent a lot of time on the impeachment uh, when Adam Schiff had us down in the bunker, the basement of the Capitol. So I think your, um, your viewers and, and, and uh, listeners will enjoy the read. Um, we spent a lot of time about the sort of behind the scenes involvement with President Trump, who who probably more than any president we've had um, did what he said he would do. And uh, so we talk a lot about that as well. I think um, it's available. You can get it now at, at, at Amazon pre-order or, or Barnes and Noble and uh, comes out in a couple of weeks. So, uh, okay. again, I think you're I think folks will enjoy it. Yeah. And before I before I let you go, I do think it's interesting that you dedicated a whole section of your book to former Speaker of the House, John Boehner. Not a lot of people might even while listening, they might not even know really who he is. Honestly, there's a lot of people who just started paying attention to politics to listen to and watch my show just in the past couple of years. They don't know the process that went on behind the scenes. Um, Can you tell us why you dedicated a whole segment of your book to that? Well, that was that was when the Freedom Caucus sort of started in, in 2015. And one of the first things we did was we got frustrated with the fact that Republicans had been elected to uh, and given the majority in the House and then given the majority in the Senate. And it didn't seem like we were actually fighting for the folks back home and doing what we said we would do. And that frustration uh, led to us deciding we needed to make a change in who, who led our conference and who led the House. Um, and we, I, I, the introduction is, I start off in the introduction about the day that uh, my, one of my best friends, Mark Meadows, filed the motion to vacate the chair, which is, in essence, a move to, to change speaker, uh, change the speaker. And um, 
I, I, I kind of that's the introduction. Then we get into that issue and a host of others. When when the president got COVID, we talk about that. Um, talk about when when my colleagues um, stormed the bunker in the basement of the Capitol. We were in there for depositions, and then they stormed during the the impeachment process. And so uh, again, I think I think your uh, your your, yeah. your viewers and listeners will 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 enjoy the read. Yeah, we so often don't get to know what really goes on behind the scenes. We see such a small snippet of what you guys do. And so this will be a very interesting look into all of that. So thank you so much for writing it. Thank you for taking the time to um, to talk to us today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Allie. Thanks for all you do. All right, last sponsor for the day, and that is Relief Band. Did you know that one out of three Americans regularly suffer from nausea? We've all experienced that feeling, whether you're traveling or whether you've gotten motion sickness or morning sickness if you've been pregnant, where you're nauseous and you feel like you can't do anything. It really inhibits your life, especially if this is chronic for you. You don't have to suffer anymore, and you also don't have to be regularly taking um, these, you know, pharmaceutical drugs that may have different side effects that you don't want to take anymore. Relief Ban offers all natural relief. It is the number one FDA-cleared anti-nausea wristband that has been clinically proven to quickly relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting associated with motion sickness, anxiety, migraines, morning sickness, chemotherapy, and so much more. It's 100% drug-free. It's non-drowsy, provides all natural relief with zero side effects for as long as needed. You put it on your wrist and it stimulates a nerve in the wrist that travels to the part of the brain that controls nausea. So it blocks the signal to your brain or that your brain is sending your stomach telling you that you're sick. The technology was originally developed over 20 years ago in hospitals to relieve nausea in patients, but now through Relief Band, it is available to the masses. They just released also a new model, Relief Band Sport. The Sport is waterproof, features interchangeable bands, and has extended battery life. As the holiday season quickly approaches, there has never been a better time to give the gift of relief and make sure your loved ones are nausea-free. They have an exclusive offer also just for my audience. If you go to reliefband.com and you use my code Allie, you will receive 20% off plus free shipping and a no questions asked 30-day money-back guarantee. So head to R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D.com. Use my promo code Allie for 20% off plus free shipping. Promo code Allie for 20% off plus free shipping. All right, I've got one more thing for you today, and I've been meaning to play this, and gosh, we've just been running out of time, but speaking of pushing back and standing up for the things that you believe in and people's voices actually making a difference and representing the concerns and the causes that people really care about, I went to a rally um, at Southwest Airlines headquarters, and I wanted to talk to protesters about why are you protesting against this vaccine mandate? I talked to so many different kinds of people that have been pilots and have been uh, flight attendants for decades who are quitting. They're facing the loss of a job, possibly uh, because they don't want to get this shot. There are some, you know, there are some apparently stipulations at Southwest now because of all of the pushback. Uh, but I just wanted to hear them because I feel like these people are so misrepresented and I wanted to give them a voice and just to hear from them firsthand. Why are you pushing back against these vaccine mandates? Um, and I just love when people enter the arena and stand up for the things that they care about. So let me play you that and uh, then I will see you back here tomorrow. We'll talk about COVID stuff. 
guys, Ali Stuckey here. I am in Dallas, Texas, in front of the Southwest Airlines headquarters. There are people lined up all across this road protesting Joe Biden's vaccine mandate for major corporations. So I am here to talk to a few of them to ask them why they're here. Tell me how long you have been working for Southwest Airlines. Almost 20 years. 21 years. It'll be four years uh, in March. I'm a American Airlines captain, 40 years of flying, 30 years at the airline, 17,000 hours of flying. Why are you out here protesting? Uh, medical freedom. I love my company. I love my job. I just think that I deserve a choice. We are here to support medical freedom and people's right to choose to have the COVID vaccine. Okay, and you come all the way from California. California. Why did you fly all the way here? Because it's heartbreaking what's happening to the employees of this company. I'm here supporting my dad who's a pilot for Southwest Airlines, so he's been there for 21 years and it's just insane to me that he would just be fired, not because he was a bad pilot or he did anything wrong, but because he's not gonna get a vaccine. I'm here because my deeply held religious beliefs prevent me from knowingly putting anything in my body that was developed or produced using aborted fetal stem cell lines. I and many other pilots, mechanics, flight attendants, uh, gate agents, rampers, you name it, we're all standing for freedom. We don't want any mandates of any kind. Uh, a lot of us have had COVID. Um, we have our tests, you know, showing that we've had, we have antibodies. This just was very clear for our family that this is something that we wanted to lean in. We felt like God was leading us. And so um, we decided to say no to the vaccine and no to the mandate. Are you surprised that Southwest is complying with this? Um, I wish I could say that I was surprised, but not right now. We built our brand on having the freedom to fly. You're now free to move about the country. And not only are we being, our freedoms being infringed on, but the next thing is gonna be the vaccine mandate for passengers. And how many people will that impact? Not just us, but in the US and around the world. Do you have hope that things are going to change? That this pushback is gonna be effective? Yes. I hope you do. Gary yes. Sees this. Yeah. I hope he sees it and knows what he's doing to his employees. This used to be the company of love. Where is it now? And I still have hope for our country and um, to, to move in the right direction and turn from the way we've been going. And so if you don't stand up now, I don't know if we'll get another chance to stand up. And so it's just so clear in our convictions that this is the time to, to push back and say no. That's it for us. We've just spoken to Americans, many of them employees of Southwest Airlines who are protesting this vaccine mandate. They are standing up for their freedoms. Thanks for watching. It's Ali Stuckey from Dallas, Texas.